On today's Question of Faith, why do we hold our hands up during the Our Father? This is Question of Faith. I'm Mike Hayes. I'm the Young Adult Ministry Director here in the Diocese of Cleveland. And I'm Father Damian Ferentz, the Vicar for Evangelization. And I'm Bishop Michael Woost, Auxiliary Bishop of the Diocese of Cleveland. Yay, he's back. It's great to have you back. <laughs> it's good to be back. Thanks yeah. for having me. Sure. And so we, we have a liturgical question, so you're their first call, as always. And so why? And so, what is the position that we hold our hands supposed to be during the Our Father, I okay. guess? So in the rubrics in the Roman Missal mm-hmm. and in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which provides us with the guidelines for how Mass is to be celebrated— It says nothing about how the people in the congregation are supposed to hold their hands. Uh The only thing that it says is that during the Our Father, the priest extends his hands in what's called the orans position. Mm -hmm. So it's with arms extended and hands upraised. This is actually a very ancient position. posture for Christian prayer. We see the early church fathers writing about it, and it was very common for all early Christians to hold their hands up in prayer, particularly when praying the Lord's Prayer. But at Mass, the only one that is required to do that is, in fact, the priest, and he holds it up during the, uh, the Our Father, and then for the embolism, which is that little prayer that follows the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he's supposed to bring his hands together. Now, in many of our churches, some of our people do hold up their hands mm-hmm. during the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing that says that they can't do that, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that says that they should do that. Right. A lot of places where they have had either prayer groups or the charismatic renewal or some kind of renewal program or retreat program in the parish, people have kind of become accustomed to holding their hands up during mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer. So it's certainly they can do it, but there's nothing in the rubrics or in the general instruction of the Roman Missal that says that they have to. The rubric simply says that the priest has to hold his hands up. And when you say priest, just the main celebrant or all concelebrating priests? All the concelebrating priests. If there are concelebrating priests, they all hold them up, and then uh, they bring them down at the uh, conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. So that is something that's in the rubrics for concelebrants, is that they only hold their hands up during the Lord's Prayer, but while the main celebrant is doing the deliver us, Lord, from every evil. He's the only one that's supposed Ah. to have his hands extended. So actually, if there are people that are holding their hands up during the Lord's Prayer, once the Lord's Prayer is finished, they should bring them together because that's what the concelebrants are instructed to Mm. do. So everyone should bring their hands together. And there are images in the catacombs of people praying in the Oran's position, if I remember that correctly from even being there a few years ago. Mm. Now, I remember, I think it was... When was that general instruction of the Roman Missal around 01 or 02 when that... So the study edition of the general instruction of the Roman Missal came out in 02, and then it went through several versions until the third edition of the Roman Missal came out in 2010. And actually, when that came out, the Committee on Divine Worship from the bishops, the USCCB, uh, they put out a number of catechetical instructions about all th- sorts of things that changed in the Mass or that were trying to be emphasized in the Mass. And actually on their website, they had said that during the praying of the Lord's Prayer, people can extend their hands in the Oran's position, people can hold their hands in front of them folded, mm-hmm. or people can just 
let their hands drop to their sides, <laughs> you know, and basically offered all these options. And it was actually up on their website for quite a long period of time. But then some of the other bishops, in reading what the committee had put out, had said, but, you know, there's not really nothing in the general instruction or the Roman Missal that says what people are supposed to do. So should we be telling them what to do? Uh, and so they dropped it off their website. Well, I remember, it's about 20 years ago now, that there was a, a movement where people were holding hands during the Our Father. And right. I remember a past... Um, liturgist for the diocese said that when people were interviewed, a lot of them said they felt most connected during the Our Father, and he thought that was not liturgically correct. So the idea was, um, if you're going to hold hands at any time, and I think he was being a little hyperbolic, he's it would be after communion when we're actually in communion with each other. So I think a big movement in our diocese was to stop some of the hand-holding during the Our Father, which, again, if it doesn't say what you can or can't do, well, you're the liturgist. You can say that. But I think the idea was to have to get people in a more ancient pose during right. the Our Father. Yeah, I think absolutely. that was absolutely because the Oran's position is a part of our tradition. Mm-hmm. Hand holding during the Our Father is not. And mm-hmm. actually, you're right, Father Damien. There was this survey that was done amongst Catholics when they were asked, "When do you feel most in communion with Christ in the Eucharist and with the Eucharistic community?" Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of responses that came back was, well, during the Our Father when we're holding hands, when in fact the place where we should feel most in communion with Christ and the community is when we're all receiving communion, right. when we're all sharing in the Eucharist itself. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So for my own selfish reasons, if I'm a deacon on the altar, what do I do? Well, as a deacon— If, if I am to be a deacon, let me qualify that. Sure. <laughs> God willing, one day. Exactly right. So um, again, the general instruction or— the, the Roman Missal itself does not give any instruction for the deacon as to what he's supposed to do. Mm. But I would say in our diocese, the vast majority of deacons, along with the priests, extend their hands in the Oran's mm. position, which is, again, it's acceptable. There's nothing that says you can't do it. Mm. And actually, it does show a sign of communion, at least amongst those who are in the sanctuary, sure. if in fact they are joining in that ancient uh, posture mm. of prayer. Mm. Is it true that the handholding during the Our Father was part of came out of the twelve step program? Is that true or not true? That I don't okay. know. Okay, part I of think me thinks I heard that. Some before, of it but... seemed to me to be sort of part of the charismatic renewal, which oh, you mentioned okay. early. Okay. It was the first time I ever saw it. I remember the, we had a charismatic mass in my childhood parish, and at the Our Father, not only did people hold hands, but they crossed. The, the center aisle to uh-huh. hold the hands of people across the yeah, way yeah. and and held them up like yeah, really during high. That, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. I remember in high school at Holy Name, I used to like to stand next to the pretty girls because during the Our <laughs> Father, you got to hold their hands. I always thought that was great. So it's probably best that we don't do that these days. So we're more focused on the Eucharist and our Lord, but, you know. Yes. But not ignoring others, but. Sure, know, of course, okay. yeah. yeah. And those of, us, those, those of us who are a little germ-phobic, too, you know, you get things yeah, from people's hands now, all the time. Yeah, especially post-COVID, post-COVID. Exactly. So you've been a bishop for a year now, what, and you just went to the last USCCB meeting. So what was that I like? I did. So it was it was great. Actually, I've been to three USCCB meetings mm-hmm. now. Last summer I went before I was ordained a bishop when I was bishop-elect. And then I was at the, the big meeting in November. So the November meeting, which is always held in Baltimore, mm-hmm. usually tends to be a very largely attended meeting because there's a lot of business that takes place there. Sure. And then uh, just last month we were down in Orlando and there was about 270 bishops there from across the United States. 
Um, it was good. You know, I, I've met a lot more bishops now. Um, I've connected more with the bishops that were ordained the same year that I was. So it's kind of considered to be your class, right. mm. and they encourage you to connect with the other bishops who were ordained the same year that you were. So I had dinner with, with those bishops. I went, I've been appointed to the Committee on Divine Worship for the USCCB, so I went to my first committee meeting oh. with the other bishops, which nice. was which was really interesting. We had no some very interesting there. conversations about mm-hmm. some of the, uh, the the new documents that are coming out. We did uh, an approval of the last part of the Liturgy of the Hours, which has now been finally translated, and it was approved. It was voted on at this meeting mm. last month, and uh, it's going over to Rome now. So we're hoping that within the next couple of years, we'll have a new edition of the Liturgy of the Hours for all those who pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm-hmm. Is it new so, psalm translations? or the, Everything is newly translated. So mm. the new psalm translations, and those will be the psalm translations that we will use at any liturgy, so even at yeah. Mass. So we'll have to get new lectionaries again? Well, or? actually, yes. There will be new editions of lectionaries wow. coming out because they'll, the they'll have the new psalm translations in them. Those oh. have already been approved for liturgical use because the Psalms themselves have been translated now for a couple of years. So you can actually buy the new translation uh-huh. in a paperback version oh. that's already out. Oh, that's interesting. So, but every other part of the Liturgy of the Hours now has been translated. Oh. Wow. So we're just waiting for Rome's approval on it. I was at this priest conference last week in West Virginia, and the folks from the Hollow app were there. You know the hollow. Yeah, I do. I have and, it. And I do too. I, mm-hmm. I'm actually in the middle Maybe of a three. Marian consecration, mm-hmm. my first time. Um, but they said they were trying to get permission to put the breviary on the hollow app, but because it just was sent off, they said just hold hold out, and then when it comes back, then we can start working on something. So, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was that was their news because they knew this was underway. So that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, any, you know, anything to report from their last bishops' meeting? Like what went on there? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, various topics. Probably one of the, the things that we talked about quite a bit at the last, on the very last day, was a new document that's coming out on ongoing formation mm. for clergy. Mm. So once you're out of the seminary, formation is not done. Correct. You know, we continue to to work at growing in our intellectual lives, our spiritual lives, um, our human lives, uh, our connection with pastoral ministry. So there was a, a document that was just approved by the bishops that'll be coming out. Um, it's been in the works for several years. So there was quite a bit of conversation about that. The liturgical pieces, we talked quite a bit about that. Um, usually what happens at these meetings is a number of the offices for the USCCB that are working on various projects. Uh, we get updates on what it is that they're doing. So there was there was some ongoing talk about what's happening in Ukraine and the church's mm. involvement and in, in what's happening over in Europe with regard to the war. Um, we usually get a uh, an address by the Apostolic Nuncio, so Archbishop Christophe Pierre, now soon to be Cardinal. Cardinal. Yeah. 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 That's cool. yeah, it's pretty exciting. He was um, named as a possible Papabili by uh, John Allen on his podcast this yeah. week, which I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so he gave, he gave a really excellent address. And then, of course, uh, Archbishop Timothy Brolio, who is originally from Cleveland, Cleveland and is now the, the president of the USCCB, yeah, he gave an here. address. 
you know, his first address as president of the USCCB. So most of the time, it's, you know, it's dealing with various matters of what's happening here in the church in the United States and Mm -hmm. a lot of update just to get a sense of what's taking place in different dioceses around the country. A lot of conversation about the Eucharistic revival and what, how, how that's now moving into the parish phase and then looking towards the, uh, the national oh, yeah. uh, convention, which is going to be really big. A year from now, a year from this week, it will, yeah. it will be the national convention, which yeah. would be awesome. Yeah. Anyone else doing uh, ballpark masses around the country? <laughs> no, actually, I, you know, listening to other bishops and talking to them about what's happening in their diocese, we are really doing a lot. Good. I mean, I'm just really proud of what's going on here in the Diocese of Cleveland Excellent. because we just have so much that's happening. And actually, in some of my conversations with some of the bishops, I was a little embarrassed because we're doing so much more than many other dioceses to really get people involved in the Eucharistic revival. You know, it was almost embarrassing to tell them all the things that have been going on here. So it's just, it's very exciting. A lot of good things are happening across the country, but mm-hmm. but we're really ahead of the game in a lot of ways. No one likes the smartest kid in the class, Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> but Cleveland rocks. That's yeah. right. So we can't Absolutely. deny that. Yeah. We can't yeah. deny that. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's great. So you've you've been at this for about a year now, being a bishop. What's what's your favorite part about being a bishop? Uh, you know, I think I have gone to more parishes over the course of this past year than I think I've ever been in in my entire priesthood. It's awesome. So it's been great visiting a lot of different communities, getting to know people, um, being able to celebrate Eucharist with them, and uh, and usually to meet them afterwards, you know, with some kind of a reception or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just getting all over the diocese, being to places that I've never been to before. Uh, con- confirmations have been great. I've I've confirmed hundreds of young people. I think I've confirmed had confirmations for about thirty different parishes over mm-hmm. the course of the past year and confirmed hundreds of young people. And usually before the confirmation liturgy, I'll spend about half an hour to 45 minutes beforehand talking with the kids, uh, finding out you know, how they prepared for confirmation, why, uh, what the confirmation name that they chose, what saint's name they chose, and mm-hmm. why they chose that name. And I've mm-hmm. just really been edified and excited by their responses. Um, just, you know, these young people taking the sacrament of confirmation really, really seriously. So that's that's been really exciting. I really enjoyed that an awful lot. Nice. You got, you got to ordain a transitional deacon this year, I right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. My first ordination. So I ordained deacon um, Michael Garvin. And uh, that was pretty exciting. I was uh, I was really grateful to Bishop Malesic to uh, allow me to be able to do that and mm-hmm. hoping to maybe do some more of that in the future. So... so- this isn't a secret, but you are an avid reader. You're a pretty contemplative guy. And that I think it surprised you when you were called to be a bishop. But you are mighty gregarious and super friendly with people. And it seems like, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the graces of ordination opened something of you in a way that, like, this is wow, this is a perfect fit, but there's something that was given to you or that I didn't see before. People are like, this is really awesome. So how, have you thought about that? Has anyone else made that com- comment to you? Because really, yeah. you I mean, the guy reads a lot. He's super smart, but you are more contemplative than you are like, you know, center of attention guy. 
But right. you've you've found, or the Lord has found this for you, and it seems like a great fit. So, how, yeah. could you talk about that yeah. a little bit? This is this is all grace, you know. As I look back over this year, I mean, I just have to admit this is all grace. That this is this is God's call, which is something that the Bishop Molesic really emphasized in the homily at the ordin- at my ordination as yeah. a bishop. He emphasized that whole idea that you have to see yourself as called by God, and that God's going to provide the grace to be able to do the ministry. You know, having taught the course on holy orders at the seminary for so many years Mm -hmm. and spent a significant amount of time with the students talking about the ministry of the bishop, you know, I've really spent a lot of time this year trying to integrate that theology and especially coming to recognize that, that one of the primary responsibilities of the bishop is to be an instrument of communion. So the life and the ministry of the bishop shows the communion that exists between the local church community and the universal church, represented particularly by the Holy Father, but also that he becomes a key for creating a sense of communion within the local church amongst all of the parish communities. So as a bishop, being able to go out to the parish communities and to celebrate Mass and to preach and to be with people, you know, it really speaks of the fact that these communities are not isolated. They're not mm-hmm. church unto themselves, mm-hmm. but they belong to something much bigger. Mm-hmm. And the ministry of the bishop, I think, helps them to realize that, I hope. Um, but for me, it's just really exciting to be able to go out and, and to represent that, you know, and to try and be that instrument of communion. Of course, this does not mean that I've lost my contemplative side because if there's anything, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I've discovered that I that I need to make sure that I'm taking time in prayer because I need the silence, I need the solitude, mm-hmm. I need that contemplative dimension of part of my life in order to be able to do what I think that the Spirit of God has called me to do yeah. through this ministry. So it's really a matter of really trying to allow the Spirit to integrate those realities, you know, in my life now in this new ministry as bishop yeah and in a world that's like really polarized you know the bishop being someone who brings everybody into communion you know i I think that that's really important i think you really symbolize that i know that like you know having you in class even if my classmates are having an argument or somebody let's just ask bishop woost (laughs) that's what we're doing on this podcast that's what we're doing now right you know we called him up today let's get him in here he'll tell us what's going on but but also like in a balance you know it's like not one way or the other but Mm -hmm. it's like no no this this is what we're Mm -hmm. really talking Mm -hmm. about you know it is also cool that you're the first uh, man ordained bishop in 21 years. The last one yeah. was um, Amos in Greece, right? Bishop's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty great, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And I just, I found so much support from the people of the diocese. I mean, almost every place that I go to, somebody will say to me, it's just really exciting that one of our own priests yeah. was ordained a bishop mm-hmm. and is now ministering in the diocese here among us as one of our own. And I've just found such tremendous support and, and people constantly telling me, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you and Bishop Molesic, you know, and mm-hmm. just just that support has been tremendous. Absolutely, yeah. And we pray for you here too, so know that. Thanks. <laughs> and so yeah, we're going to have, speaking of prayer, Nine Nights Night Prayer coming your way soon. Round seven. Oof. So we've got nine new parishes. We've got a new ice cream. Father Mark Ott, who, when he was studying in Rome, did a fair bit of travel, and he visited the Black Madonna of Montserrat in Barcelona. Ah, okay. And so the ice cream 
is because people really like the chocolate we did last yeah, that's right. a couple times they ago. Did, yeah. So it's going to be called Black Madonna of Montserrat Dark Chocolate Ice Cream with Black Cherries in it. Oh, very nice. And there'll be nine parishes. We'll put the link online. But the one parish we want to talk about today is I think the only parish in the whole Diocese of Cleveland that sits on Lake Erie. Lake oh. Erie is in the backyard. It's St. Anthony in Lorraine, Father Ed Smith. Uh, Holy Name class in 1992 is the pastor out there, ordination class in 2001. And uh, they've got a school. It's pretty full. They've got a Blessed Sacrament Chapel on the back end of the property. I've actually never been in the church, but I've driven by it. And I thought, gee, this would be wonderful to have nine nights of night prayer out there um, right on the lake. So, Bishop Woos, you have been out there. Any, any I have been thoughts there. on the church? Have you yeah. been inside? Or? I've, I've been inside okay. the church. It's a nice little church. It's well worth going to see. And literally, it is right on the lake. You pull around behind the buildings, and the parking lot is overlooking the lake. Yeah. I was actually there once in the winter time in the midst of a snowstorm mm, and yikes. some of the people who were there for mass and everything came out and the lake had been tossing waves up into the parking lot <laughs> oh, and wow. people's grills were iced over you know so i literally it's right wow. on the lake wow. so it's it's even just to go back and stand uh, you know in the parking lot and to to overlook the lake is pretty exciting but Pro- it's a nice little church providence that we picked this one in the summer yeah, so. yeah. i know <laughs> well part of the idea was i i don't know exactly when when the sun sets in lorraine mid-August, but I'm guessing it's around uh, the time night prayer starts or ends, because right now the sun's setting out there around 9, mm-hmm. but maybe by then it's 8.15. So maybe you go out, watch the sunset, come in for a night prayer, you know. Good idea. Yeah. 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 Great. So that'll be our church search for this week. And then uh, uh, you've written a book, so we're looking for, uh, you're having a big book party soon. Yeah, it's a revision of my dissertation. Word on Fire's publishing it. We're going to have the book launch. Actually, it'll be the anniversary date, almost, of Bishop uh, Woost's ordination. Oh, right, yeah. So he was ordained on the 4th of August, which right. is John Vianney Day, but it was a Thursday. So we're having the book launch on August 3rd, which is a Thursday. That was the day Flannery O'Connor died in 1964. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to have food trucks out there. We'll have beer from Forest City Brewery, free ice cream from uh, Country Parlor Ice Cream, Father Mark Riley and Danny O'Brien have formed a band called A Good Band is Hard to Find. Be some gospel music, Americana, and we'll end the night with night prayer um, like we did last year, that beautiful candlelit night prayer uh, Bishop Boos led us in last year. So I'm not sure who will preside. Maybe I can uh, talk Bishop Molesic into coming out that night. We'll see. I know Thursday's his day off, though, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, That's but it, it'll be fun. We'll be selling the book there and Flannery O'Connor books and some other things, too. So. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll yeah. be a lot of fun. And then uh, we are continuing our softball league. So here is this week's softball recap. Okay, shout out to Logan Feldkamp for excellent groundskeeping on a messy hillside field. The game must go on, and they went on indeed an upset of the day. In their first game, Lakesiders upset the heavily favored big league Chew 12-8. Big Ed Wennenberg going for the triple crown in this league. He hit a first-inning grand slam, his second of the year. Wennenberg's grand slam in a four-run error-prone third inning powered the Lakeside win. The Chew scored four in the fifth to make it close, but it was not enough. Lakesiders evenings up at two and two. Big League Chew now three and one, still at the top of the standings. Catching Flamingos thought one lawn flamingo was lucky last week, so they brought two with them this week, and it paid off. A 9-2 win over the Westside Whitecaps. Matt Liberatore, a home run and four RBIs. Two hits is all the Whitecaps could muster on a lackluster offensive day without their big bat and Tyler Meter. They are now in last at 1-3 Flamingos. 
2-1 and one with a makeup game on Sunday as they try to make it a three-way tie for first. Best game of the day by far, the Ite Project. Ten runs in the top of the sixth inning with their backs against the wall. They come all the way back, trailing 7-3 to three to beat the St. Vitus Lions 13-7. to seven. Chase Sainer, two hits. Adam Sainer, two RBIs. Ite now 500-2-2. Two two. Vitus is now 1-2 as they have a makeup game on Sunday trying to stay out of the cellar. Blowout of the day, the chosen ones all over the Southside Sabres in the nightcap. They missed their big bat, Phil Wancata, who was out for this one. 17-4, the final score in a mercy-ruled five-inning game. Jake and Ben Pollock, along with Stephanie Baccio, all with home runs in the eight-run mercy-ruled fourth inning. The Chosen Ones cruise now in a first place, tied with Big League Chew after the win at 3-1. and one. Southside, a league worst, 1-3. and three. Next Sunday, we'll be starting at 11 a.m. with all games at St. John Bosco's Parish Field as repairs are made to Meyer Park. You're up to date. I'm Mike Hayes. Out at St. John Bosco next Sunday, so I hope to see you out there. It'll be great. And then our readings for this coming week, 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. What, what stood out to you folks? Well, that in life, along with the good is going to be the bad, and that's part of our fallen world. And so you don't let the bad discourage you. You just keep moving and let the Lord sort that stuff out. Mm. I guess that's what stood out to me. Very nice. Bishop? So this week, uh, on Sunday, we're going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel again, and Jesus is going to present us with a whole bunch of different parables. And the one that really struck me is when he talks about the kingdom of heaven being like yeast Mm. that is mixed in with the flour. And I remember my mom baking bread, Mm. you know, and it was always amazing to me when she put the yeast in and let the, the dough sit, how it would blow up. You know, and she would do that several times before the bread would finally go into the oven. And it's really, it's about how the presence of God in our lives expands us. Mm. The yeast is like the presence of God. It expands us. It expands our hearts so that we can love, so that we can give of ourselves to one another in service, so that we can give of ourselves to God. God's constantly expanding our hearts by sharing the gift of his life with us. Mm. That's a motif I use often when I when I practice preaching. I say our hearts can stretch much farther than we think that they can go. Mm, yeah. And and uh, the one that stood out for me, the responsorial psalm stood out for me this week. Lord, you are good in forgiving. And uh, I think it's because my confession day is tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about all those things. Uh, and I know it. I have. I always have a need for God's mercy and God's forgiveness, as we all do. So it's, I thought that that stood out to me this time. Lord, you are good in forgiving. Mm-hmm. And we are good in forgiving here as well we hope it's true <laughs> i hope so yeah we want to be like the lord that's the point absolutely. so lord you are good and forgiving when we're in communion with you then we look like you absolutely yes so bishop thanks for joining us absolutely uh, thanks for having me yeah so for always all things pleasure. all things liturgical we always bring you by so thanks for coming <laughs> by and uh congratulations on your position with the usccb on uh, the divine worship committee as well thank you thank you and so we'll have this and a whole lot more next time on question of faith